Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Rishi Desai, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Mike Linares, founder and CEO of Simple Nursing. Mike is a nurse, a traveler, a podcast host, and a successful entrepreneur. His learning platform, Simple Nursing, has helped over 400,000 RNs, LVNs, and LPN students become very successful. What started out as a simple YouTube channel grew into a mission-driven business that makes a positive impact in the lives of many, many students around the world today. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Trishi. It's been an honor. I've been following Osmosis for a long time now and love what you guys are doing. So really cool to be here. Well, listen, you have an incredible story, and I, I want to just kind of dive right into yeah. it. Do you mind just talking through your background, maybe even start with kind of when you first learned about nursing or, or got excited about nursing yeah. way back when? It's funny, because every time I tell someone this journey, everyone's like, no way. So <laughs> I never wanted to be a nurse, just to put that out there as like the shocker. I would actually talk people out of being nurses because, I mean, not people, but I would say guys specifically. I was young and dumb. I was like 18 to 21. I worked on an ambulance and thought like nursing was like a female profession, you know, super sexist in the, in the sense that I was super immature. Didn't really know about the world. I was going to go physician assistant route and didn't really have the bachelor's degree, but I worked on the ambulance a long time. So I had the you know number of hours to apply to three different schools. And after not getting into those three different schools, I had all the prereqs. I'm like, you know what? Why not go into nursing? I started working in the ER as a tech. And I'm like, whoa, nurses are like doing everything in the ER. I had such a lack of knowledge that I thought it was like, you know, like Grey's Anatomy. All the doctors help to ambulate the patients or like the physician assistants. I'm like, no, like 80% of, of the hospital's nursing. Man, this is cool. That's what really got me into applying into nursing schools. And Around 2012, there was a huge impaction of trying to get into nursing schools in California. So the only ones that I really applied to were like three-year waiting lists. And I'm like, what? So I had to apply to 10 different schools for two semesters. And out of applying basically 20 times to basically 20 different schools, I got into one on a lottery ticket. And they're like, we're going to call you if something happens and a seat opens. And so I got called like, five days before the actual semester started. Wow. I know. And I'm like, all right, let's go for it. So, yeah. You know what's funny about that? I, I'm really curious to explore a little bit more about that misconception because I think a lot of people might have that misconception. What, what would you say to someone that's like maybe 16, 18 years old, thinking about life options and may not have had the experience to work in an ER like you did? What would you say to that person that says like, oh, it's not for men, it's a female profession? Yeah, it, it's funny because when you don't know what you don't know, I think that's the hardest place to make decisions, especially if you're asking a network of people. The biggest recommendation if you're in high school or if you just don't have enough knowledge is go volunteer or go through like a CNA course or an EMT course and start working in the hospital. Let's say you want to work in the ER. Let's say you want to work in the ICU. And you're not sure if what specialty. Start working as a tech. And you're going to see all the specialties in action. Because so many times I see nursing students hit me up and they're like, oh, I wanted to do this for the longest time. And when you really ask them their mission of why, they really don't know because their mom did it, their aunt did it, or they think they look cute in scrubs. And when they actually get to the clinical rotations, they're like, I didn't think it was going to be this way. So I think, um, you know, getting your hands dirty, getting into the actual nitty gritty of it is kind of like a sampler platter. You know, you, you can taste before you buy and commit to the whole thing. 
And then you mentioned it, so I'll, I'll ask you about it. You know, you said CNA, and a lot of people may not know what a CNA is. And there's all these like other acronyms, right? LVN, LP, and RN, NP. Like, can you explain in your own words what are all the different roles of nurses, and, and how does one decide what they want to be if they're not really that aware of these different kind of roles within nursing? Yeah, yeah. So nursing in itself, I call it the nursing mafia, right? Because <laughs> you can become a physician assistant, which is basically like a nurse practitioner. What nurse practitioners can get in like a six-year time frame, physician assistants can kind of leapfrog it in a two-year time frame if they have a bachelor's degree. But really starting out at the beginning of your journey, if you don't know what you want to do, let's say you're still in high school, or let's just say you're considering nursing, you can do a six-month or even eight-week course that's a certified nursing assistant or CNA. And you can immediately start working within less than kind of one semester. Um, almost no prereqs, I don't believe, unless they changed it which is pretty amazing because you don't have to go through an entire year of an LVN program, which is a licensed vocational nurse or a two-year program for a registered nurse with all these prereqs. So you can actually start seeing what you're going to be seeing in a career as a nurse or an LVN almost immediately. So that's one of the best things, the best kind of life hacks that I would say. And it's also the journey that I followed. I followed the EMT route, which is an emergency medical technician which took about six months. It's almost the same time frame, but EMTs focus on the ambulance and you can cross over into the ER and some critical care settings. So it's pretty nice. So that's how you got in. You worked as an EMT, you got into nursing. Walk me through kind of what that journey was like as a student. How did you like it? What were some surprises for you? Yeah, so um, I'm super honest, <laughs> almost like too honest. So <laughs> before nursing, I was on the ambulance for about six years, ER two years. And so I thought it was a hot shot, right? So like young 20-year-olds, and I was also giving courses on EKGs, you know, just really immature and just think I'm, I'm hot stuff. And so I'm going to the nursing program thinking it's going to be like, oh, this is going to be super critical care and like only like critical care drips and IVs and things. And the first semester of nursing school is not that. It's like, here's how to ambulate a patient to the bathroom. Here's how to take a vital sign. And I'm like, what the heck is this place? <laughs> And so the first impression for me is like, we're playing like patty cake or like playing in the sandbox. And that does not do well for my young, immature ego at the time, where I just start getting this chip on my shoulder. I, I start not caring in nursing school, just because it's so elementary to me at the time. But at the same time, I'm helping other students out and kind of giving back to my fellow classmates. But I do show up late and turn in assignments late, which kind of gives me a bad rap especially in a first impression in a uh, very strict kind of militaristic nursing school where you have to have everything pressed on time, over-prepared. So I had this bad rap going into my first semester and leading into my second semester. I'm not <laughs> proud of this by any means, but I think I still own the record for the most write-ups in the first semester. I think I had five or something like that, but trust me, it's a good story because it shows like, you know, my journey that I wasn't perfect, right? And not a lot of people have to be perfect to make something. It's how you finish, right? Not how you start. And what is the culture like? So, I mean, this is so interesting to me. You talked about like having everything kind of pressed and like showing up on time. And like, it almost sounds, I don't have a military background, but it sounds like you're kind of comparing it to kind of like what a military culture would be like. Was that your school or is that just generally what nursing school culture is like at a lot of places? Yeah, it's really funny because... I didn't expect it to be that way. Now, EMT and the ambulance, you do have to shine your shoes and, you know, wipe down the rig and, and be professional. But it seemed like nursing school, 
kind of went overboard in the sense that they made it a little bit extra hard in terms of your preparation and just coming down on you just a little bit harder. I'm not sure if that's just my nursing school, but I've heard other people have the same experience. Now, I've also asked my medical friends in medical school, as well as my PA friends in physician assistant school, and they're like, oh, no, it's usually a holistic, and they try to help the students learn. And it seemed like in nursing school, they were trying to figure out ways to kind of like ding you or fail you or challenge you on a certain clinical setting. And I've gotten some feedback, specifically in your Los Angeles, California, at other schools doing that. Now, my experience is probably totally different because I was the immature guy that was, you know, too prideful at the moment. And everyone's trying to like come down on me. I'm like, you know, we have to tame this wild horse kind of thing. <laughs> wow. So, so you did schooling in, in Southern California, in L.A.? Yes, in um, Cerritos College, right outside LA, about 20, 30 minutes outside. You know what's funny about that? I, I don't think you knew this, but I grew up in Buena Park, which is no next way, to Cerritos. Really? Yeah, and so I, I know Cerritos pretty well, which is awesome. Great, great area. But yeah. so you went through school, you're kind of, you're, you're describing yourself as kind of this wild stallion. I'm imagining this horse kind of running amok. You're in your early 20s at this point? Yeah, early 20s, I would say 23, 22. Yeah. And it sounds like you enjoyed helping your peers, helping them learn stuff that you already knew. Mm-hmm. When did you feel like simple nursing was like maybe a calling, maybe kind of the next obvious evolution in your journey? Well, how did that happen? Yeah, so I'm going to kind of bifurcate and answer your question, but indirectly. So I was a serial, not entrepreneur, but I wanted to kind of create a business online and travel and work remotely. That was after reading the four hour work week. If you guys are familiar with that book, uh, Tim Ferriss kind of outlines this crazy idea at the time. It's like, hey, what if you can work remotely? Uh, Which is totally common now in COVID. But at 21 in 2008, I was like, you know what? That would be amazing. And I was a personal trainer at the time, as well as working on the ambulance. And I tried a few business ideas out for training and tried to actually launch two or three fitness channels on YouTube. And totally failed. And that's why I kind of just went back to nursing school. My dad's like, stop going for get rich quick schemes and just go to nursing school, make your mom and I proud. And I'm like, all right, all right. But I had a heart for teaching and I love teaching. So long story short, I'm helping my peers out. I was an EKG instructor at this like mini course for paramedics. And around semester three, I have one of those hard-nosed instructors that I really have a bad rap anyways going into that semester. And, you know, none of the class was prepared, but no one really spoke up. She kind of just singled me out and says, hey, you're not prepared. You have this bad rap. You're gone. So I got failed out my third semester at nursing school. And uh, my dean's super cool. My dean was really amazing and really understanding. She basically sat me down. It's like, Mike, you can do you know, all the things that we need you to do. We just need to see if you're serious. Like just show up, jump through the hoops, get it done, get out of my hair. I know you're going to pass your board exams. She's like, but I just need to know you're serious. We're going to get you in the next semester, but show me you're serious and complete a project for us. And she's like, it can be any project you want to do, but just do something to show us that you're serious. So I'm like, okay, going back to my fitness bootcamp days, I'm like, hey, what if I did like a 14 day bootcamp for like new nurses? And kind of, you know, brought them in and gave them some study hacks and memory tricks and things they can remember. And so it kind of started there of kind of hacking the system of how to time manage, how to organize your study time and certain memory tricks for hard topics. And it was in kind of that mode where people are like, put this on YouTube. And I was like, that is the dumbest idea in the world. No one's ever going to watch me, a failed out nursing student. (laughs) 
especially with, you know, other previous business failures before. And I'm like, YouTube doesn't work. I was super passionate about fitness, but no one watches me on that. So one day I'm just like, you know what? What the heck? I'm just going to try it out. I have a whiteboard from Walmart and an iPhone, and I can just make five videos. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work perfectly fine, but maybe it's useful. But little did I know that Khan Academy was launching at the time um, in 2012, which is the same year, pretty much. I think they launched two years before 2010-ish. And um, I kind of rode this wave of online education that was kind of new, which I didn't know about. I utilized a lot of the personality stuff that I got from YouTube of, you know, really a lively intro and keeping it short and sweet and uh, throwing a lot of memory tricks in, even though my whiteboard drawings were really horrible. To my surprise, a lot of people started watching and, you know, I'm like a few thousand views. I still remember the day I'm like 500 subscribers on YouTube. I'm like, whoa, I hit the big time. This is nuts. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make another five videos and another five. And then I remember my last semester nursing school, I'm like, okay, what if I just quit my job? I was working as a tech. I'm going to be a nurse in six months anyways. I have some money saved. And what if I just started pumping out a lot of videos and start charging as a study resource? So I remember going from 50 videos to making 100 videos a month on this little whiteboard and ending up with 1,200 videos by the end of my graduation. And so little by little, like more nursing students would figure out and, and I would get a following and just kind of snowballed into this thing that I was like, you know what? I never was mission driven of like, I'm going to change the world for education. I just kind of wanted to make an online business where I can just travel and work remote. But it was really beautiful. And I would say six months after I graduated, I was invited to the Florida State Nursing Convention where over like 700 schools represented like about 2000 students. And a lot of students were just coming up to me, like thanking me for just helping them pass their exams. They were saying like, I probably wouldn't be a nurse today because I wasn't getting it, but you helped me in this, you know, YouTube video. And I was like, wow. And that's when it became mission driven. It became personal. So it was just really touching. That's when it kind of all changed. That's an amazing story. And, I, and I'm curious, like, at what point did you feel like your school, I mean, the ones that kind of initially incepted this idea of a project to kind of show you're serious. At what point did the school recognize what you're doing and be like, wow, this isn't just like a, a show me you're serious, check the box. This is like a, a thing. How did that happen? Yeah, really good question. No one even knew it was a thing until I graduated. They still kind of didn't know it was a thing. And my dean, um, she was like, Mike, you did it. You graduated. I'm like, thank you so much. I was really grateful for her for just letting me back in the program. But she was funny because she's like, are people actually even watching you on YouTube or subscribing to your study resources? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's actually like a thing. She's like, okay, what are you going to actually do, do? I'm like, I'll probably still work as a nurse. And then it wasn't until the day that someone from the East Coast, I want to say Tennessee or Kansas, actually gave her a call like on her like office line and was saying, is Mike Lenares an educator at your college? And she's like, no, he's a student here. And they were trying to ask all these questions about me. She's like, listen, he's a student. I will not disclose any personal information over the phone. Goodbye, have a good day. And she was more protective of me. She was like, listen, these people are calling, but I'm protecting your information. She wasn't like annoyed. Like, are you advertising, you know, <laughs> Cerritos? I was actually reassuring her. I'm like, I'm not attached to the school. I just said I went here. I'm a student trying to be transparent. But yeah, it was funny. That's really cool that people are reaching out to learn about you. And initially in your story, like you didn't know that men could be nurses or that that was a thing. And and here you are, you're not just 
a male nurse. You also happen to be like one of the most popular <laughs> nurses out there, right? So I wonder if you can just speak about like how you're now the embodiment of, of breaking the stereotype that you once held. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, I believe when I went in, it was a 90-10, so 90% female-dominated field and 10% men. It might have changed in recent years, but it was really cool because I felt like I was representing the minority in terms of our demographic and kind of making it cool to be a male nurse and just getting that wider audience and that wider acceptance. Because even to this day, I get international students from, say, like India or even like other parts of Europe, and they call me doctor, because they just assume if I'm wearing scrubs and I'm a guy, I'm a doctor. But it was cool, because at the beginning of our new videos, I, I just say I'm Nurse Mike, and welcome to our YouTube channel. And then everyone's like, oh, wow, you're actually a nurse, and you're a guy. So it, it's actually really rewarding, because I'm breaking the mold. And uh, I'm glad to be here. So you know, it's funny, I'll just share a very quick story with you. I was wearing scrubs. I was, I'm a pediatrician. So I was with a young boy. And he's like, Oh, thank you. Are you my nurse? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm the doctor, but I'm curious, like, why did you think that? And he's like, oh, because you did all the work. Because it was in a situation where I remember this night very well. Uh, I was working basically solo okay. for a little while. So I ended up doing a lot of this stuff. And, and he was like, oh, because you did all the work. I was like, oh, <laughs> got it. My kids are so honest, though, aren't they? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah, totally. He's like, so I just thought you were the nurse because you did everything. And I was like. Okay, <laughs> that's good to know. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to be like, oh, because you're super feminine. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's really cool. Like, he actually noticed the hard work. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I was like, yeah, it's very observant of you. <laughs> He's like, you know, because you did everything. And I was like, yeah, I, that's true. That nurses do everything. And today I did everything, which is unusual for me to do everything. <laughs> but the fact that I'm doing all the work means that I'm a nurse. That's your takeaway. That's what you see. I get it. I, it totally makes sense. So I guess one question I have is, you know, you, you mentioned this in passing. It's a, it's a personal issue for me, which is a lot of baseline health issues in this country, as you know, because of your interest in fitness, come down to like real basic stuff, right? Like fitness, eating well, you know, like that's really like 99% of like our world's problems, frankly. And so given your passion for fitness, and now that you have this kind of platform, I'm just curious, what is your sense on how diet, nutrition, fitness, how that's taught in nursing programs? And, and do you feel like that it's taught in the right way? Do you feel like we're moving the needle on that? Like, what, what's your sense on that? Oh, man, it's so archaic, and we're still in the Stone Age. And I'm not sure if it's the actual nursing curricula or the boards, per se, but maybe it's the culture of where the medical industry is right now. I mean, look at the hospital food, right? It's just like, here's the macros, just general macros, even it might be nutrient poor, and they're not really getting to the root. And I hate to say it, but, you know, it's the elephant in the room where, you know, there's more money in treating conditions, not really curing it and being a holistic approach, which I think will actually change because I think a lot of our generation is waking up to it. And the younger generation, for sure, is probably going to move that needle farther down the line. And I think a lot more people are more health conscious in our day and age instead of our, our parents, even our grandparents, where they didn't have gyms or no one really cared about a carb or a gluten diet. So I, it might be a generational thing, but I will say that I'm trying to make a positive impact with helping our students by, you know, talking a lot more about mental health in our welcome series, um, specifically when they join a course or, you know, kind of want to jump into the resources. I'm like, well, let's slow it down. 
talk about your time management. Let's talk about making some you time, making some mental health time for you guys, as well as, you know, the day of your tests, you got to have brain fuel. You're only going to get out what you put in. So I talk a lot about eating whole eggs, that the cholesterol in eggs, it's actually good fats for your brain, as well as omega-3s. And, you know, just in general health and wellness tips as a student. But to really answer your question, overall, I, I, I think we're still in the Stone Age. We've probably made some progress in the last 50 years, probably. But I think it's going to be totally different in the next 50. I love that we're actually using vitamin infusions um, in certain hospitals, at least to treat alcoholism. And, and we're using more and more vitamins at high concentrated doses, which is really cool. But even like the most recent medications that are coming out and kind of like these one-off clinics and how they're getting to the root of, of certain diseases is, is pretty amazing with just holistic approach. So, Yeah, that's something that I think you know, you have a special ability to do, obviously, because you're personal interest in it, but also you have this platform and people are, are kind of looking to learn to not just pass exams, but also to become the, the best version of themselves as nurses as they can. And so I think that that's a really, really great thing that you do. You know, we're a teaching company, and we love to learn about things. Uh, and anytime there's a knowledge gap, you know, I'm always excited to kind of fill it. Is there anything that you'd like to teach me and our audience about today that maybe it could, it could be like a common myth or something that just a lot of people just don't know? Um, anything at all uh, that, that you'd like to, to teach our audience about? Oh man, there's so much. I love, I love hacks, like mental health hacks. Um, I try to do a mind, body, spirit hack every year. So for my mind, one of the biggest hacks or things that a lot of people kind of don't know about unless they're like on a trendy, uh, you know, LA or uh, New York for mental health is uh, for me personally is um, sensory deprivation tanks or what they call float tanks. So I did an experiment. Everyone says meditation is so good for your mental health, but I am too ADD for meditation because if I open my eyes and I see something or hear something, I'm like, you know, I'm screwed. I have to do it again. So I'm like, I'm going to force myself to do this. I'm going to do 30 hours and 30 days in this sensory deprivation tank. And if you guys don't know, you guys can just Google image it. Uh, Joe Rogan talks a lot about it. But um, you go inside this uh, little pod, I call it dunk tank, you float on about a thousand pounds of Epsom salt, and it's called sensory deprivation because they take away your five senses. Can't hear anything, it's pitch black, can't um, taste, touch, smell, whatever. And you're just floating in there for an hour to two hours. And it's kind of forced meditation. For me, I, I saw the big benefits and breakthroughs around hour 15. And I would do like an hour, two hours a day for five days a week. But man, by the end of that 30 days, you come out as a brand new milk dead. Like you come out as a brand new person. Um, the weirdest part is a lot of the things that meditators talk about, if you guys ever listen to Eckhart Tolle about um, waking up or power of now, it's very, very textbook. And he talks, tries to talk to you about like the Krebs cycle. And you're like, okay. And you talk the molecular of sugar. But you never can really, you know, taste sugar. So this kind of application is like, you know, you're actually tasting stuff and you're actually seeing the manifestations of what he's talking about and separating your ego and kind of separating yourself that there's kind of like certain, I don't know really how to say it, but there's certain space between re always reacting to something and kind of separating yourself for who you are now and who you want to be. It's really hard to explain, but... All I'm saying is that if you are going through like a tough time and you have some mental health things that you need to work through. Uh, for me personally, I chose that because I was super stressed in 2017 and had a few panic attacks, which I didn't know were panic attacks. And I just thought it was a breathing issue, like asthma. And the doctor's like, yeah, you pretty much you have a lot of stress. 
So I'm like, okay, meditation. I'm like, okay, what's the fastest hack for meditation is stunting. So I try to do that once, twice every year, but that was the biggest impact. I can give you some more hacks too. I'm really into longevity science and Ben Greenfield right now. Uh, so I'm fooling around with some NAD as well as glutathione patches. And I might do some IV infusions with that, but it's just, it's amazing how science right now is just accelerating so much where we can actually kind of reverse our biological clock just a little bit. Super interesting. It is. I mean, it's incredibly interesting. And I'll ask you a follow-up question in just a minute. But um, I think one of the hardest things for folks is figure out, like, where can they get reliable information? And a lot of times it's hard to read primary sources because it's dense and it's hard to understand how to tease apart all the different findings. I'm just curious, what do you find to be some of the most useful, credible sources for your information about longevity or around sensory deprivation? Where do you typically go to learn about it? Yeah, the most uh, credible source is osmosis.org. Get your subscription to No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, 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 wow, no. I was not expecting that. <laughs> no, the, kind, <laughs> kind words, but yeah. But yeah, honestly, I don't have a most credible source other than Wikipedia. No, I'm just kidding. No, other than just listening to these podcasts from these doctors who are actually scientists in the field. I listened to a TR podcast. I forget who it's by. I just went on iTunes and or whatever podcast platform and just typed in NAD and a few popped up and there was a two hour long one about a scientist who is actually doing funding for NAD right now and talking about longevity and, and just talking about his scientific findings. Half the podcast, I couldn't even understand what it was saying because it was just too scientific. But the gist of it was that his laboratory is basically finding that NAD helps the little um, batteries of the cell, the mitochondria. And it basically helps to restore and repair those little cells. And just the findings that they're finding in mice, that like an old mouse, he made an analogy, an old mouse and a young mouse pretty much had like almost the same biological age. And he was just going through his findings, which is the most amazing part. I don't have actual scientific data for the sensory deprivation tank. But then again, it was just like, you know what? I'm not injecting anything to my body. I'm just going in this dunk tank and seeing what happens. And I mean, it makes sense, though, if you take away all your senses and you're forced to do meditation, you know, some good things are going to happen. Now, I did get the 30 hour marker from, I believe it was a book that quoted like the Dalai Lama, the guru on meditation. And he was saying that 50 hours is the threshold that you need to get to of regular practice, regular meditation. So I'm like, okay, if I can get the 30 hours, because they say in a dunk tank or a float tank, 30 hours, it counts as double. So that's like 60 hours in a month then I'll be kind of at that threshold. And I'll say that I just saw some amazing things right around 15 hours. Even if you guys don't have major burnout problems or mental health issues, I would say it's good for anyone just to try it once, like a 30-day challenge. It's going to be crazy. Well, it's rare to find folks that walk the walk uh, in addition to talking the talk. And your amazing ability to be honest about, you know, your, you mentioned anxiety in the past, your struggles as a student way back when, when you were a wild stallion. I mean, all of that honesty, I think, makes you extremely relatable and obviously very charismatic as well. So I do want to thank you for taking the time to walk us through your journey with being an EMT, becoming a nurse, simple nursing, and now your journey into becoming the best version of yourself. Thank you for all of that. Dude, thanks, Rishi. Appreciate it, man. Um, and thank you so much for um, sending up this podcast. I really respect Osmosis in the space. I think you guys are gold standard of just animation learning. And I just love what you guys are doing. So keep on killing it, man. Well, thank you for saying all that as well. 
I'm Rishi Desai. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.